You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Good morning, Mercy's Door. My name is Adam. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the church, and I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. If we're not on a first-name basis yet, I'd love to change that. Um, so if you just want to flag me down after service today, shake my hand. I'd love to say hello. If you're newer to the church, and by newer, I mean if you're not faithfully plugged into a gospel community yet where people really know you and you really know some other people, I would love to extend an invite to you after service today uh, to that newcomer's luncheon. It's right over on Main Street in our church office building, 204 West Main. Uh, there'll be plenty of food for you. Just come on up there, uh, and I'd love to hang out with you and get to know you. Um, but otherwise, um, if you would just um, know that this, this morning is a, is a, is a, it's a special morning in that the Lord intends uh, to draw near to you guys in a way that um, I really needed him to draw near to me uh, this week. And um, I want to address you guys this morning in a very uh, sensitive um, and delicate way uh, because the Lord draws near to us in a really sensitive and delicate way uh, this morning. And we're in this Advent sermon series where uh, we're trying to take a prophecy from the book of Isaiah from each week and find how it finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And last week, we did this labor uh, through a prophecy that really exalted a really high view of Jesus. We saw him as the, as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the Son of God, as the Son of man, as the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And this week, we're going to meet an entirely different label on the name of our Messiah. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning in Isaiah 42. Uh, In some of the weeks, you'll notice that I kind of pull two prophecies just because I'm greedy. And and I'll pull them and just see it says it here and it says it here. Um, But then I'm also limited. And so I'll just preach out of one. I'm going to stick with Isaiah 42 this morning if you guys want to flip there. Beginning in verse 1. But before we jump into it, would you guys uh, pray with me uh, that we would um, really feel the Lord's tender care uh, draw near to us? Lord God, that's what we're asking for. Uh, it's what we're asking for together with one voice, with one body, Lord. We, we lift our eyes to you, and we ask that you would kneel, bend your knee and kneel down toward us, extend your hand to us. Let us understand what it means to be uh, received when we're wounded by our sin. Lord, we ask that your tender nature would be revealed to us. Lord, we ask that you would make yourself known to us in a way that helps us to understand why, on what basis, on what merit you are approachable in our hour of need. I pray that you would tear down the false pretenses and the pride that are present in the room always that make it difficult for us to acknowledge our lowly estate before you, or that makes us presumptuous in the way that we address your throne. Lord, not truly beholding the freedom of a child as we walk to your throne, but instead the swagger of a king as if we have a right and our own merit to be there. Lord, instead I ask that you would show us by your spirit this morning that like children, we walk to the throne not because we've earned anything, Lord, but because you delight to call us your children. I pray that you would exalt 
the King, Jesus, over us this morning through this prophecy, that you would comfort us by it. In Christ we pray, amen. I want to read over you guys just a few sentences. We'll read them several times. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, the vast majority of our time this morning is going to be just in these three sentences, these three verses. I've given you more, and we'll spend a few times working our way through verse 9 of this chapter, but this is where we're going to live today. And this promise, this identity that is given of Jesus, where he, is, where he says, behold, my servant, my servant. This is the great identity of Jesus that we're going to look at today. And last week when we talked about Jesus as the wonderful counselor and all the other identities that we talked about, we saw him up here. We saw him reigning from the heavens. We saw him flexing his might. We saw him king of kings, doing as he will, laughing at the will of man, doing what he will, right? Like this, this mighty, this powerful Jesus. And this is the same Jesus that we're looking at today. And yet he's given this name, Behold, my servant. My servant, suddenly this King of kings, Lord of lords, eternal Father. You picture him with a towel around his waist. My servant. And through the prophet who has passed over his life in 700 years after it to kind of behold this one is calling us to do the same, to behold him, to look at him, the servant, the servant Jesus, the one who has lowered himself to behold him, to look at him. And we just are not going to be able to draw near to the doctrines that, that the Lord has for us in this prophecy this morning until we really see him in all of his might lowering himself to the form of a servant here. To see our king in the form of a servant. This phrase right next to behold my servant says, whom I uphold could be translated two different ways if you were to interpret it in the passive, which is one possible way to do it. It's like, who upholds me? If you translate it in the direct, it's whom I uphold. And then in the very next verse, we see who I've chosen, who I've put my spirit upon. And right on the introduction of our text this morning, what we see is God showing himself to us in all three persons. We see our, our God, the Father, showing him, behold, my servant, revealing to us then the Son, Jesus, on whom I've put my spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit here declared over us in this passage. And so what's important to us is like what I've been preaching for weeks now, it's an important theme at Mercy's Door right now, is that we come to see that when we look at the personhood of Jesus, when we see his identity revealed to us in his life, when we see the things he does, when we see the things he says, when we hear from him, that we are learning about the triune God that they're never in contrast with one another, that Jesus isn't different from the Father, that the Father isn't different from the Spirit, not in nature, not in character, not in will, not in promise. On display for us this morning is the character of God, and it's important because he's going to address this morning 
the sin of mankind. And that's why I walk into the pulpit this morning with a little bit of a heavy heart and a, and a sober tone is to say that as I've dwelt in this passage and as you dwell in it with me this morning, I want you to know that this is a difficult thing to look at, to really get your hands around unless you see God, the Father, the one who can strike down what he will as a tender servant towards a broken reed. And so there is a sentence this morning that I want to wash over you this morning. It is this, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is the central sentence of our whole message this morning, that a bruised reed this servant will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Why is this important? Well, because last week we were introduced to this God who can break whatever he wants, weren't we? He can break whatever he wants. He can quench whatever he wants. We were looking at a God last week who, with the flames of the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God can quench that flame, right? That God has promised that he will bar the gates of hell, right? This God can quench any fire. This guy can tear down kings. We see him as king of kings, that he establishes rules and he tears them down. This guy can crush anything, this Jesus that is prophesied about. He can quench anything. And what is revealed to us in this prophecy for this morning is he who he will not break and he who he will not quench. And this is pretty important for us because when a God who can break and quench whatever he likes says to us, who he will not break and who he will not quench, we would like to be found listed among those ones, right? He's declaring for us who it is that he will not break. Who is it? The bruised reed. Who it is he will not quench? Who is it? The faintly burning wick. And so this morning, what you're going to hear from me is this invitation to draw near to those identifiers, to desire and rejoice if you find yourself self-identifying and more importantly identified by God as a bruised reed. That somehow this is a desirable title to be found among the bruised reeds. It's a desirable title to be found among the smoldering wick. How can it be so? Well, we behold the servant, firstly, whom is upheld by the Father, his chosen one, in whom his soul delights. So firstly, we need to see the pleasure of the Father in this prophecy upon his servant, the one who will be wounded for our transgressions, the one who will be pierced for our iniquities, the one by whose stripes we will be healed. He looks upon the lowly servant, Jesus Christ, taking, taking upon flesh and taking upon the persecutions of the sins of the world for our behalf, and his soul delights in him. You see, the whole of our hope, church, I'm giving it to you on the front end, the whole of our hope that we are going to find as we identify ourselves as bruised reeds and smoldering wicks is that these are ways that Jesus identified himself when he identified himself with us in our weakness. 
See, if we need to be found among the bruised reeds in order to not be broken, if we need to be found among the faintly burning wicks in order to not be quenched, I think it's a good question for us to ask, well, who are the bruised reeds? What is a bruised reed? Who are the faintly burning wicks? Who are they? Are you one? So this morning I want to describe to you what I believe the Bible testifies is the bruised reed. Firstly, a bruised reed is one who has been bruised by God. A bruised reed is one who has been bruised by God. And these bruises of God serve to drive that bruised reed into a neediness that is outside himself. See, what I'm not talking about this morning is a bruising that happens that then brings me into a state of self-pity, which is one response to bruising, or into self-righteousness where I try to, by works, to overcome my bruising. See, these are the two extreme and sinful responses to our bruising on account of our sin, but here's what it is. It is a bruising that brings us into an awareness of our sin and our iniquity and our failure that makes us aware of our desperate neediness before our holy God. You see, if it's a bruised reed that he will not break, if it is a faintly burning wick that he will not quench, what it means is that in the bruising that we can call out to him with hope that he will not snap us, but that he will uphold us as we lean over. It's interesting that we're not called oaks. It's not, it's not the sturdy oak that he will not break. It is not the raging fire that he will not quench. It is not the strong ones that he will uphold. It is the bruised ones. And so this morning, what I'm hoping that I can achieve on the front end of the sermon is that you would say, like, Honestly, before God, honestly, within yourself, whether or not you can self-describe as a bruised reed. Are you, have you been brought low enough to honestly acknowledge your sin and iniquity before a holy God? Do you know your great need before him who upholds justice and righteousness, who is perfect and holy? Do you know where you stand before him apart from his grace and mercy? Are you pierced by your sin? Because if you are, this text tells us to rejoice. Because you who are bruised by your sin, you will not be broken. But to be bruised by your sin, I really want to drive this point home, it doesn't mean that I feel bad about what I did, that I look out at the consequences of my sin, I'm like, that didn't work out the way that I wanted to, that caused more harm than I intended, that's not what I'm talking about, not, not I feel bad, I'm not talking about self-pity that says, man, I tried my best, and just things didn't work out for me, I'm not talking about a bruising that just says, you know, if I would have tried a little harder, if I would have done it this way, then it probably would have been okay. And we're not talking about a bruising that looks out at the things that we maim, that's honest about the people that we've harmed, the harm that we've done to ourselves and to others on the face of the earth, and then sizes that up and says, yeah, I'm not a good person, and so I'm going to make it right. And so now all of my, I mean, you guys know people like this, probably, 
especially in a service-minded culture like we're in around here. People who can at least be honest about the, the harm that they've caused or the harm that they've been complicit in and that they're now trying to kind of self-correct or course-correct where kind of by my good works now, I've dedicated my life to altruism and to good works in order that I can have a net positive gain on the world, that my existence will leave the earth better than it was before because I feel some kind of guilt about what I've done or about what somebody else has done. I'm not talking about a bruising that drives you to try to make it right yourself. And I'm not talking about a, a, a bruising that brings you to a place of self-pity or just kind of awareness or self-loathing would be even worse. I know fewer of these in my own personal life, but one comes to mind where it's not so much self-pity that's like, man, that, I really didn't mean it like that, but it's self-loathing where it goes all the way on the other side, it just says, like, I need to beat myself and beat myself up and pay for my sin and transgression, that I'm responsible to punish myself on account of what I've done. None of these things make you a bruised reed. If you're punishing you, that's not the bruised reed. Self-pity not a bruised reed. Self-righteousness, making it right on your own, not a bruised reed. The bruised reed that the Lord will not break is the one who is bruised by the hand of God for the chief end of driving your eyes to him and showing your, your desperate need for him. It is the bruising that leads you to repentance, to repent of your sin and to cast your hope on another. If I'm going to make such a claim, I probably need to back it up. Isaiah 38, 13, Hezekiah is writing. He's sensing that his death is imminent, and in praying this prayer, the Lord adds 15 years to his life. He says this, From day to night it is you who bring me to an end. I cried for help until morning. Like a lion, he, God, breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. Hosea 6, chapter 1, we read, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Isaiah 65, verse 8, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. You see, we see all throughout the Bible a story of a God who bruises his people as a mercy upon them in order to bring them to the end of themselves that they might look up from their bruising and cast their hope and care upon another. If you have been bruised by your iniquity, if you have been bruised by your sin such that it has been effective to cast your eyes upon the Lord to call on him for mercy, you count yourself blessed because as a bruised reed, he will not break you. He will tenderly lift you up. 
Psalm 51, verse 8, the psalmist writes, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David wrote this psalm after he looked out from his rooftop, saw a woman bathing, wanted her, abused his power to take her for himself, accidentally gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up by bringing her husband home from battle and trying to set it up so that he'll think it's his baby, can't get him to do it, and so he has him killed in order to cover up his sin, then takes the woman as his own wife. Pierced by the words of the prophet Nathan as he brings this sin before him, he is pierced to the heart over his transgressions, and he pens this psalm. And here he credits God for breaking his bones. He asks him, let me hear joy and gladness. Restore to me my praise. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And towards the end of his psalm, verse 17, he writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do you see the parallels with this promise? A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Church, if you are limping along in this life, ever aware of the sin that is on you, ever aware of the things that you have done and are doing and will do and how they fall short of the glory of God, if you are limping along in this life, fully aware that before God you need a mediator, count yourself blessed, you are the bruised reed. And he will not break you. If you think of all the things that he could break, you will begin to see the wonder in what he won't break. That was the quote of the week for me as I was preparing this. I mean, come on. And yet, how many of us, church, let's be honest, want to wear any label but bruised reed? Make me a sturdy oak, God, that you would not break me. Make me strong. Make me powerful. Make me mighty. Make me perfect. God says, I'll make you needy. I'll make you needy. See, the healthy are not in need of a physician, but those who are sick and bring their sickness to the physician find their healing. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I mean, let me read these to you. Broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, 
the one who is bound in prison, the one who thirsts, the one who has no money, the one who labors and is heavy laden, the one who needs rest. These are the ones who find their comfort. These are the blessed bruised reeds. You see, the church of God has been described as a dove among birds of prey, as a vine among plants, as sheep among beasts. We're called the bride of the bridegroom, the woman who is the weaker vessel in biblical terms. The, the church is always described in its weakness and taking its strength from another. And until you are brought to that lowly place, you cannot receive the goodness of the promise of the great physician. So I come to you soberly this morning, on the one hand wanting to invite you to rejoice, but on the other hand holding out to you just as a warning that you cannot and you ought not, because there is no rejoicing to be had for you until you first are brought into an awareness by the very hand of God of your great need of his salvation. But those who he bruises, he binds up. It's a hard thing because on the one hand, I think that we want to accuse God. It's our sinfulness that does it. We have to acknowledge that, but we want to accuse God. Say, if you really loved me, you would never wound me. If you really loved me, you would never bruise me. But I hold out this assurance to you, firstly, if there was any other way, you'd have gone that way. There was none. That's how bad we are. It takes a bruising. But I give you this assurance also to say that he's not done one thing to you that he did not enter into himself and take fully upon himself in Christ Jesus. You've not been bruised worse than the Christ. He has taken the fullness of the bruising of the Father, bruised for our transgressions, such that your bruising is now a way in which you can draw near to the person of Christ. When you are bruised by God, you grow in the likeness of Christ who went before you in your bruising, such that your bruising has been given meaning beyond damnation, but has been the, given the meaning of salvation. Only God can make a bruising a gift. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, the proverb reads, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I, that, prof, that proverb came to mind as I was crafting this sermon because I was sensing from the Lord as I was preparing this that it was my job this morning to wound you as your friend. 
to point out to you the great need that you have before, to, to tear down from you, to take from you any false sense of security that you have in your own self-righteous deeds, in your own works of righteousness, that somehow you've met God halfway, that somehow he's taken pity on you as the deserving poor, that somehow it is because of, of the, what's happened to you that God has had mercy on you, or that somehow it's because he measured you on a curve that he has taken mercy upon you, or, or that somehow it's because he looked upon you and said, I need that one in my service because of all of his great gifts and abilities, that all of these things will forsake you in the end and you will find yourself broken, if not bruised that our options before the Father are to be bruised or to be broken. And some of us, in avoiding a bruising, are heading headlong for brokenness. Let it not be so for you, church. Receive this as a wound from a friend. Let it be faithful, that you would be honest and say, yeah, the discipline of the Lord is for my good, and that it would cause you to repent and to cling to Jesus. And you see, the thing is with repentance is that in the church, a lot of times, we only talk about repentance in the moment where we come to Christ. Say a prayer like this, repeat after me, raise your hand, every knee is bowed, every eye is closed. If you say a prayer like this and you, and you copy my repentance, then you're good. And I, I just want to hold out to you this morning that it's more than that. It's not this easy believism. It's not this cheap grace. It's the Holy Spirit upon you keeping you in a place of bruised upholdedness that this is where you live now. Ever aware of the bruising of your sin and ever aware of your need of Christ to stand in for you in your bruising, to uphold you, to heal you. He is doing it. It's a perpetual thing that he is doing and this is a great encouragement. But it wasn't something like, it wasn't like a pill that he gave you on a day and now you're perfectly holy. It's like the daily ministering of the bread of Christ for your spiritual nourishment that will carry you all the way home. So when is the last time that you repented? Not for your salvation, but for your upholding. Like, What does it look like for us to be aware that we need him every day? To uphold it. If we're a bruised reed, I mean, you guys know what a reed is. You pinch the stem of a reed and it just falls over, right? Easiest thing in the world to break. But it also cannot stand up on its own once it's been bruised. It can't. It'll just lean over. You must be upheld daily by the one who has bruised you. And that's the process of ongoing repentance. Hebrews 4.15, read it to you last week. I'm going to read it to you again. 
We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, last week when I preached this, I preached this as Jesus identifying with us as the Son of Man, being the way and the reason by which we can approach him at all with confidence, and that's still true. But now I want to focus on the second half of it, that let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, this is a present tense sentence written to Christians. This is not a saving verse of do it in order that you can be saved once and for all. This is a writing to Christians to draw near to the throne of grace for their ongoing receiving of mercy and their ongoing finding of grace to help them in their ongoing time of need. You still need him is what I'm getting at. You didn't need him back there. You need him now. You'll always need him. And you draw near to the throne of grace with confidence through your repentance because of this promise that he will not break a bruised reed. He makes broken bones rejoice. He strikes us down that he would bind us up. And so I leave you with this um, quote from Richard Sibbs. He wrote a book that I'm going to send out to you guys because it's, uh, I can send you a free PDF. You can read it. It's like 16 chapters. You can probably read it in four hours. Um, I'm not kidding. It's a super short thing. I'm not joking. He, um, he wrote this. A Christian is an impregnable person. Uh, that means indestructible. I had to look it up. A Christian is, Im- is an impregnable person. He's a person that never can be conquered. Emmanuel, which means God with us, became man to make the church and every Christian to be one with him. Christ's nature is out of danger of all that is hurtful. The sun shall not shine and the wind shall not blow to the church's harm. For the church's head rules over all things and has all things in subjection. Therefore, Let all the enemies consult together, this king and that power. There's a council in heaven which will disturb and dash all of their councils. Emmanuel in heaven laughs them to scorn. And as Luther said, shall we weep and cry when God laughs? You see, this Christ who in Isaiah 53 we read was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity and that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and that by his stripes we were healed. We're talking about a Christ who is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. He's not perpetually wounded and yet he still bore the scars of his wounding after the resurrection. Somehow in his glorified state, standing in for us as our mediator, Christ, if we were to look at him today, if you were to stand before him in his glory today, you would still be able to behold the scars. He brought them with him into glory 
on what basis that we would be reminded that by his wounds we are healed. And yet more than that, by his wounding, we find our healing. So my great encouragement to the church this morning is that you would draw near to the throne of grace with confidence as you repent and confess with your lips to your God and to those whom you have sinned against in order that you would receive again grace and mercy and forgiveness and that we would build a habit in the life of the church of acknowledging our great need before him and encouraging one another to walk in the light and to make their sins known to their God because there is safety in the Lamb. You understand? There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. This is the quote that y'all probably have heard before from Richard Sibbs. More mercy in Christ than sin in us. And so it's in this way, church, that my invitation for you this morning is to really measure your sin. Because for those who are bruised reeds, somehow now, the greater look you get at your sin, the greater look you get at his mercy. The more that you understand just how far he had to reach to ransom you, the more that you understand just how much he had to forgive you for, the more you understand just how wide his blood had to be applied in order to ransom you and call you his son, the more that you will marvel at his goodness and majesty. Somehow now your sin serves a greater purpose than just to bring you low. It is to bring you near. I said I would at least read it, and I guess I've left myself enough time to do it, and so I will. The bruised reed he will not break, the faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, this is about Jesus, a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I'm the Lord, that's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. You see what he's promising over you? I am that God. That God has bruised you, but not to your death, to your life. I want it to be comfort for you. I just don't want it to be false comfort for you. So I know that I drank the air up out of this room this morning. You hear a pin drop. But I want it to be because we're sizing up our sin. I want it to be because we're acknowledging the bruising of our lives. But let's not stay there. Let's go with our bruises to the one who upholds us 
and let us let these bones that have been broken by the hand of the Lord rejoice because he has been pierced for our transgressions. Let's pray to him now.